Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're enjoying your day as much as I am currently right now, because today's just a beautiful day overall, and I hope you're having a good day as well. But we do got a lot of news to be able to talk about today. The market was pretty bad overall today, but there was some news that we should talk about. First off, Walgreens profits are squeezed as COVID vaccine wanes and the healthcare investment rises. Okay. There's also an article from CNBC today that says investors see little to gain in the stocks for the rest of the year and favor dividend payers now, CNBC survey finds. And then we got a lot to talk about from the oil and gas sector, from Gazprom to OPEC to a Supreme Court decision that was recently released today. And finally, what Joe Biden has to say about it. With that being said, guys, I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Some of the investments that I am talking about in today's podcast, I do have a small position in between Walgreens or any of the oil companies. If I bring any of them up, like Chevron or ExxonMobil, Schlumberger, or I believe Enbridge, if I'm not mistaken. And I cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes and expressing my own opinion on certain subjects that are currently happening within the market. Please go talk to your own financial advisor before making any financial decision as they understand your financial decision, uh, financial situation a lot better than I would. I cannot legally give you financial advice as I am not a professional advisor. And this podcast is for information purposes only. Let's begin today's podcast. Walgreens profits squeeze as COVID vaccine wanes. Healthcare investment rises. From CNBC, Walgreens Boost Alliance on Thursday said its quarterly sales declined and profits got hit by uh, by waning COVID-19 vaccination demand, heavy investment in its healthcare business as an uh, opioid settlement with Florida. Shares closed the day at $37.90, down 7.27%. The drug share chain stood by its full year forecast, saying it expects adjustment earnings per share to grow by low or single digits. It pointed to rebounding store traffic and more online traffic. And it said investing in healthcare, such as opening doctor offices at stores, will pay off in the future. With inflation hitting consumers' wallets, CEO Roz Brewer said Walgreens is working with suppliers to make sure it has lower prices than competitors. She said Walgreens has historically seen stable prescription trends and an economic downturn. Quote, there's a shift in calculus due to food and, and fuel inflation, but health and wellness will always be a priority, she said on the call with analysis. Plus, the company drugstore locations, which are a short walk, bus ride, or drive for many consumers, give Walgreens an edge as gas costs more, she said. Here's what the company reported compared to what analysis were expecting for the three-month period ending May 31st, based on refinitive data. Earnings per share is 96 adjusted versus 92 cents expected. Revenue was $32.6 billion versus $32.06 billion expected. In the quarter, net income fell to $289 million, or $0.33 cents per share, from $1.2 billion, or $1.38 per share. A year earlier, the, sh- the sharp decline reflected a $683 million charge related to its op- um, opioid settlement, settlement with the state of Florida, a decline in U.S. pharmacy sales as adopted a high volume of COVID vaccinations a year ago. Investment is expecting expanding healthcare business. Excluding items, the company earned 96 per share, exceeding the 92 cents expected by analysis surveyed by Refinitiv. Sales decreased to 32.6 billion from 34.043 billion a year ago. Analysis were expecting 32.06. Walgreens has increased sales during the pandemic as customers turned to its stores for COVID vaccines and tests. That demand is fading, pushing the company to drive growth in other ways. So, oh, this was also interesting too. The company administered 4.7 million vaccines in the fiscal third quarter, a sharp drop from the 15.6 million vaccines in the first quarter and 11.8 million in the second quarter. 
But Global Chief Financial Officer J, uh, James Kehoe said Walgreens now expects to administer 35 million COVID vaccinations this year compared to 31 million had previously anticipated. COVID vaccine is finally coming to an end, it looks like. I mean, I think we talked about it in a past podcast here where we did talk about the numbers for say for the COVID vaccines and how much these companies were making. And I don't want to butcher what I said in the past. So I would advise if you want to look into the COVID vaccine numbers that you go back to one of our past podcasts and look it up. But they were making a lot of money, these companies were, during the COVID years, as we're going to call it, probably going forward. These healthcare companies made a lot of money. And now they're probably going to be able to take that money and be able to invest it within their business. At the same time, it's also just disturbing how much money I believe that they made. I think it was something in the millions or billions. I, I just cannot remember the exact number. But I do remember when I did cover it that I remember thinking, that's a lot of money that these companies have made for a, for a vaccine. So what they do with this money now will determine a lot of these companies' futures on what they are able to do going forward. I do expect Walgreens to get hit a little bit. I mean, th think about it. Walgreens is a drugstore. I mean, people are going to get their drugs no matter what, it seems like. The question is, is the method and how people are going to be getting their drugs, okay? You got to remember, Amazon did buy PillPack, which was able to deliver drugs now. There's other companies like NowRx2 that can deliver drugs to people's homes. And that's where a lot of things are going. There's a lot of these startup companies all over the map that are delivering drugs to people's homes. And so it's going to be interesting to see what Walgreens does going forward when it comes to shipping of drugs to its customers going forward. But maybe transforming their stores into uh, little health facilities will help too. I mean, I thought CVS, when they did that a few years ago, was, was probably one of the smartest moves they ever made. And maybe Walgreens will be able to find success as well. So... It's hard to tell. Oh, forgot little disclosure. I do have a small position in both NowRx and CVS as well. Not giving financial advice either on whether you should invest in those companies or not. <clears throat> Going forward into the next article, investors see a little to be gained in stocks. The rest of the year favored dividend payers now CNBC survey found from, C from CNBC. A majority of Wall Street investors believe the market stands pretty much dead in the water for the rest of 2022. And as a result, think it's time to buy dividend paying stocks, according to the new CNBC Delivering Alpha Investor Survey. We pulled about 500 chief financial investment officers, equity strategists, portfolio managers, and CNBC contributors who manage money about where they stood on the markets and the rest of 2022. The survey was conducted this week. When asked, what are you most likely to buy now? 42% of respondents said stocks paying high dividends. Less than 80% said they would buy a mega cap tech stock right now. And then it gives the chart where it shows what they're more likely to buy. I mean, even financials are at 16%, which is the third in line. Consumer staples are fourth at 13%. Agriculture stock, which is at 8%, is number five, it looks like. Small high growth tech is at three. No, not five, at six, at 3%. And then the ESG, the ESG target funds is at 0%. Oh, I love it. I think the ESG was the Environment Social Governance Targeted Funds. They're at 0%. That is beautiful to be looking at right now. Continuing on with the article, unlike growth stocks, dividend stocks typically don't offer dramatic price appreciation, but they do provide investors with a stable source of income. During times of uncertainty, a dividend is a portion of a company's earnings that are paid out to shareholders. The market has a tumultuous year with the S&P 500 on pace to wrap up the worst first half since 1970. Oh good, history is repeating for us, guys. 
Continuing on with the article, investors fear that the Federal Reserve will keep hiking rates aggressively to tame inflation at the risk of causing an economic downturn. The equity benchmark has tumbled into bear market, down more than 20% from a record high reached in the first week of January. 40% of the survey respondents believe the S&P 500 could end the year above 4,000, which represents a 6% gain from Thursday. Intertraded level around 3,767, but still well below where it started the year at 4,766. Only 5% think the index could end above 5,000 this year. More notable investors from Stanley uh, Drunkenmiller to David Einhorn to Leon Cooperman have been skeptical about the central bank and will be able to engineer the so-called soft landing where growth slows but doesn't contract. Drunken Miller, for example, said the bear market has to run while Cooperman recently called the S&P 500 drop 40% from peak to trough, predicted a recession next year. When asked where the safest play is right now, half the respondents said cash. 15% chose real estate, while 13% said treasuries have the lowest risk. It's always interesting. Warren Buffett... One of the greatest investors of our generation always says you can always you you'll always know who's caught with uh, without swim trunks on when the tide gets pulled out. The tide did virtually get pulled out last year. I remember this distinctly. Last year, Wall Street was obsessed with tech stocks, and now they can't be as much because there's no returns right now. Like literally, companies are reporting things right now, and the stocks are taking the nosedive sometime. This is, we're pretty much in bear market territory right now, it feels like across the board. And and I, I personally have always loved investing in more dividend paying stocks. My dad always calls me the old man investor, but it's the only thing that keeps my sanity currently right now when the market feels like it's just completely just falling off the face of the earth. But Wall Street's pretty much right. If you can just get a portion back of your, uh, of your profits, it's a good day for investing in general. And so it's always interesting to see how these pros always alternate between what they're doing. I mean, Warren Buffett's had the same strategy for years. Most of the time, his his portfolio is mostly dividend-paying stocks, and he's one of the richest men in America. So it always, make, it always makes me wonder what companies would do if they focused on cash flows of companies instead of trying to always speculate on things. I mean, sometimes you have to make the speculations if you want to be able to make some decent money within the market, but it's still very interesting to see how the shifts always happen within the market every time there's a bear market in the making. So now we're getting today by talking about four important articles with the oil and gas sector. And some of it covers the climate as well, but it's it's kind of important we do talk about these because these are kind of all intertwined with each other in some way, shape or form. First off, in European news from CNBC, Gazprom shares crater after Russian energy giant canceled dividend for the first time since 1998. Now, you're not always guaranteed to make money when you invest in dividend stocks, as I'm sure these investors in Gazprom have realized, but sometimes dividend payers tend to do better in market turmoil. Like if you're Gazprom, that's a different story. Russian energy giant Gazprom on Thursday lost more than a quarter of its market value after the state-owned company decided not to pay out dividends. Quote, the shareholders have resolved that in the current situation, it is not uh, opportune to pay out dividends based on the results of 2021. Pamil Sedigov, deputy chairman of Gazprom, said in a statement. At the moment, Gazprom prioritized the implementations of its investment program, including gas infrastructure, expansion in the region of the Russian Federation, and preparations for the coming winter period. In addition, we undoubtedly must be ready to meet obligations to pay increased taxes. 
The decision, which marks the first time since 1998 that the company has not paid a dividend, reported reversed a uh, broad recommendation to pay dividend of $32.53 ruples or $1 per share. Gazprom stock price tumbled 27% before Moscow Stock Exchange um, intervened to halt trading. Gazprom reported record earnings in 2021 thanks to soaring commodity prices, but a barrage of economic sanctions in the wake of the Russian onslaught in Ukraine threatens to cut its revenues. In recent weeks, reduced Russian gas flows to Europe via Nord Stream 1 pipeline has ratcheted up fears of possible winter supply shortages. Germany energy company um, Uniper on Tuesday withdrew its financial outlook for 2022 on Gazprom supply restrictions, while Germany's government recently announced it was moving to the so-called alert level of its emergency gas plan. It means Europeans' largest economy now sees a high risk of long-term gas supply shortages. Policymakers in Europe are currently scrambling to fill underground storage with natural gas supplies to provide households with enough fuel to keep the lights on and homes warm when the cold winter months return. The EU received roughly 40% of its gas via Russia pipeline is trying to rapidly reduce its reliance on Russian hydrocarbons in response to the Kremlin's months-long onslaught in Ukraine. We've talked about this. Germany is having to go back to using coal, pretty much. And same with the Netherlands and Italy. And I think I've heard recently France was having to do that, potentially. I don't remember about the France part, but I do remember about the Netherlands and Italy and Germany who are having to use more. In fact, that's another one you guys can listen to in a past podcast about Germany a little bit more. So we won't talk about it too much here. But there is news from OPEC+. Plus which if I'm not mistaken, Russia is part of OPEC plus because it's hard to, it's hard to believe that Gazprom is going to struggle this year, especially when India and China are probably, well, we know for sure India is, but China is most likely buying cheap gas too. If India is from the energy from CNBC, OPEC plus sticks with planned oil production hike as supply concerns weigh on energy markets. A group of some of the world's most powerful oil producers on Thursday agreed to stick to a planned output increase in August, defying calls to pump more barrels to cool red-hot crude prices. OPEC and non-OPEC partners, a group sometimes referred to as OPEC+, Plus, concluded a meeting via video conference by deciding to stay the course with its production policy. It means the Middle East-dominated group will increase monthly overall production for the month of August to 648,000 barrels per day. OPEC Plus said in in the next meeting would take place on August 3rd. At the group's large, uh, sorry, at the group's last gathering at the start of the month, OPEC Plus decided to raise output by six six hundred forty eight thousand barrels per day in both July and August, bringing forward the end of the historic output cuts implemented during the uh, theros of the coronavirus pandemic. The decision was welcomed by U.S. President Joe Biden administration at the time, which has repeatedly pushed for the group to pump more. OPEC Plus has been slowly returning nearly 10 million barrels per day. It agreed to pull from the market in April 2020. In recent months, production has risen between 400,000 to 432,000 barrels per day each month. Oil prices slipped on Thursday afternoon amid concerns about global supply tightness. It comes amid this suspension of Libyan oil exports from key ports and a fall in output in Ecuador due to ongoing protests. International benchmark Brent crude futures was last seen trading at 0.5% lower at $115.74 a barrel, while the U.S. Western Texas Intermediate Futures trade 0.8% lower at $108.93. Oh, boy. We're, we're going to, I still think we're going to be facing a huge energy crisis soon in the making. I honestly do. I mean, OPEC is not going to be able to create the demand that's needed. In fact, there, I think there was like a video of, 
French President Macron speaking to Biden about how they were, they were reaching max production in the Middle East for OPEC+. Plus. I mean, I think Biden's still supposed to be making a trip to the Middle East to talk to them about this stuff. So energy markets are going to get interesting. To finish on with this article, it says, analysis and energy ex- um, executive question whether OPEC plus members had a much spare capacity as some market participants hope. Quote, we're seeing that an even tighter oil and gas market appearing, and we are feeling that right now. I think it's probably fair to say there is a little bit of fear factor in the oil price at the moment, but by and large, it is also true there is limited spare capacity. Shell CEO Ben Van Buriden said Wednesday at a media roundtable ahead of OPEC plus meeting. Quote, and of course, I cannot know how much spare capacity OPEC would have, but it's not as much as a lot of people think, oh, correction, a lot of people hope or think is my estimate. Oh, here's what it might be. Earlier in this week, French President Emmanuel Macron said that he had been told by the by the UAE's president that both the UAE and Saudi Arabia could barely increase oil production. And there it is, people. We are going to be potentially facing an oil crisis even probably more severe than the 1980s. Such a high demand. Prices keep going up, potentially. It's just going to be insane. Macron was heard telling Biden, and I just mentioned this, Macron was heard telling Biden on the sidelines of the G7 summit that UAE leader Mohammed bin Zayed was already at maximum production capacity, while OPEC kingpin Saudi Arabia could only increase by around 150,000 barrels per day. Quote, I have believed for some time that the estimates of spare capacity held by the likes of Saudi Arabia and the UAE have actually been inflated when push comes to shove, and they cannot put as much into the market very quickly as analysis previously thought. Neil Atkinson, independent oil analysis, told CNBC Squawk Box Europe on Thursday. Finishing off with this quote, it could well be that the UAE and Saudi might have 1.5 million barrels per day or so between them as push. But the problem we have got, of course, is there is no transparency. This is a big problem. And Macron may have perhaps been closer to the truth than many people perhaps realize he added. There's a solution potentially. And I've, I've been saying it since day one, since we started this podcast, when we've talked about the oil markets. We have to drill within the United States a little bit more. We do. And Joe Biden has been removing these federal releases for, for drilling in certain lands. Okay. But there's also an interesting thing that happened this morning. The Supreme Court limits EPA authority to set climate standards for power plants. The Supreme Court on Thursday limited the Environmental Protection Agency authority to set standards on climate change, greenhouse gases emissions for existing power plants. In a 60 ruling, the Supreme Court said that the Congress, not the EPA, has the power to create a broad system of cap-and-trade regulations to limit emissions from existing power plants in a bid to transition away from coal to renewable energy sources. The court's ruling on the case affects the government's authority to set standards for uh, pollutants like carbon dioxide and power plants under the Lawnmark Clean Air Act. The decision is a major setback for the Biden administration agenda to combat climate change. Specifically, the goal to zero out carbon emissions from power plants by 2035 and cut the half the country's emissions by 2,100. The case stems from the EPA's directive in 2015 to coal power plants to either reduce production or subsidize alternative forms of energy. That order was never implemented because it would immediately challenge because it was, it was immediately challenged in court. Fossil fuel power plants are second largest source of pollution in the U.S. behind transportation, according to the EPA. The U.S. is also the second largest producer of greenhouse gases behind China, making it a key player in global efforts to combat climate change. Yeah, China's not going to care 
China cares more about the energy. So it's interesting to see how the Supreme Court has overturned this. Okay. It says here, Chief Ro- Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the majority opinion in the case known as West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency, which was joined by the Supreme Court, other five conservative members. The decision is the first time a majority opinion ex- explicitly cited the so-called major question doctrine to justify a ruling. The controversial doctrine holds that the wide issues of major national significance, a regulatory agency must have steer statutory authorization from Congress and take certain actions and not rely on general agency authority. And then Roberts wrote, there's little reason to think Congress assigned such decisions, but the regulations and questions to the EPA, despite the agency's belief that Congress implicitly tasked it and alone with balancing the many vital considerations of national policy implicated in deciding how Americans will get their energy. I'm starting to wonder within the United States, if we're going to be starting using coal here too, in, in all seriousness, I really wonder if we're going to start using coal here too. We just read that the UAE is tapped out for how much they can pump out a day. OPEC plus is still trying to pump as much as possible, but there's no guarantee they're going to be able to meet the demands as well. And like I keep saying, there's going to be an energy crisis in the making. So what does this have to do with Joe Biden in the end? Well, it has a lot to do with Joe Biden. In fact, it says here from Yahoo News, which comes from Business Insider, which I believe came from Bloomberg. Biden says high gas prices will continue as long as it takes to defeat the Russians' invasion of Ukraine. President Joe Biden said there, are, there is no end in sight for high gas prices in the U.S. until Russia's invasion of Ukraine is throttled. When asked how long American drivers could expect to deal with high fuel prices, Biden told reporters, as long as it takes. So Russia cannot, in fact, defeat Ukraine and move beyond Ukraine, he continued. This is critical, critical position for the world. The president made the comments on Thursday at a news conference in Madrid, Spain. In March, the White House announced a ban on imports of Russian oil as part of the effort to punish the Kremlin for its invasion of Ukraine. Gasoline prices have climbed steeply since the start of the year, reflecting significant consumer demand, outstripping the supply of oil paired with the ongoing turmoil and energy markets, largely as a result of the invasion. It's not because of the invasion either. It's gas prices were going up before this. The national average for a gallon of regular gasoline dropped slightly to $4.85 on Wednesday, compared to $5 per gallon two weeks ago. Biden has few options to bring down gas prices ahead of the November midterms, where Democrats face the serious possibility of losing one or both chambers of Congress. In recent months, the White House has taken steps to boost oil supplies, such as ordering a major release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I think that reserve is supposed to be used during wartime, but you never know. Paired to an easing of regulations on biofuels, but that has done little to quell the inflationary surge in gas prices. His strategy has appeared to shift in recent weeks. Biden has bashed oil companies like ExxonMobil for ranking in huge profits, while the White House officials are keeping the door open to leveling a new tax on those profits. The president has also endorsed suspending federal gas tax last week, a measure all but dead on Capitol Hill due to bipartisan resistance. And then finally, Biden's approval rating has sharply fallen this year with much of the decline attributed to voter anxiousness about the spike in gas prices. Rising inflation is eating into paychecks when Americans go shopping at the grocery store or pay rent. This was going to boil down to, guys. And we talk about oil a lot. And we've talked about things that have happened in the past with the oil markets that's caused gas prices to come come up, flying up high. I would advise if you guys want to revisit that, take a look at that podcast where we talk more in depth about why 
oil prices have been going up like crazy. But it boils down to this right now, okay? Policies that are being done, whether it's in Washington, the Middle East, I guess you can blame Russia a little bit, but in reality, only 3% of the United States oil was coming from Russia at the time. The decisions that were made in the past are now coming back to bite us today, okay? We're going to continue having a huge energy crisis. And now, and, and now I'm going to say this now too. We're probably going to need coal in our, in our systems in the United States in order to survive this energy crisis in the making. We'll probably even need nuclear energy as well. And we're probably going to need other things like potentially geothermal energy, if that's even a thing currently right now by some countries. Because gas prices can keep going up. There's no stopping it. There's not enough oil to get out of the ground currently right now. And if there is, do we have the storage facilities for it? Probably not. Because we've been pushing this, this, this idea in the markets for so long that everything was going green. Remember, earlier this year, Elon Musk tweeted that we should drill for more oil. That the batteries could wait. Elon Musk, the leader in the green energy movement. And we've just talked about this too. The environment, social governance... There's not as much investment in it. A lot of the investment right now, dividend-paying stocks and energy is up there. That's where the money's going. And we talked about this yesterday too. There's companies out there that are trying to take the CO2 out of the air and be able to use it as a resource for mankind. Things are continuing to get crazy, guys, out there. And the markets are going to continue to be just insane for the time being. But got to tell the truth somewhere. These oil and gas situations, policies that governments have been putting in place, causing the chaos and the headaches that are happening within the market currently right now. So that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. With that being said, I ask that if you pl- if you have enjoyed today's podcast, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast and be able to share it with friends or family. As every like and subscription we get and every share that you give to friends or family can help grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about what's happening in the market currently and what's causing the chaos that's happening within the market? I mean, these 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 wild movements are just, they're intertwined with each other. There's no escaping it at the end of the day. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.